I do want to begin by uh, drawing your attention to the Word of God as uh, we uh, just allow the Word to prepare our hearts. We're thankful for music that helps get us ready, uh, but we're also grateful for His Word that will lead us into His presence. So this morning we're going to be looking at Psalm 63, verses 1 through 8, and uh, I'm kind of new here to your church, and so I'm not sure what your customs are and your traditions, but it's it's kind of been my tradition and a custom that whenever we come to the reading of the Word, I invite the congregation to stand, and uh, as uh, I finish, I will make a simple declaration that this is the Word of God, and uh, I love to hear the people say, thanks be to God. So when we come to that, if you would participate in that. The psalmist says, you, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips my mouth will praise you. On my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow our heads as we prepare to go to the Lord in prayer. And uh, with your heads bowed and before I lead us in prayer, I just want to encourage you to take a moment and uh, talk to the Lord. Tell Him how grateful that you are that He is here with us today. Would you thank Him for the week that you've had? And Even though maybe for some it's been a hard week, but His presence has been with us. Would you take a moment to commit this next week into his hands? And you know some of your brothers and sisters here in the church that are in need of a physical touch or just a special touch from the Lord. Would you lift them up asking for God's help? Father, you have heard the prayers and the words and the hearts of your people today. We truly are grateful that you are with us. That you have fulfilled your promise that says where two or three of us are gathered together in your name, that there you will be with us. And so, Father, we praise you and we thank you for being here. 
And because you are here, we come with a, a level of expectation that you just won't be uh, sitting back in the back uh, watching and observing, but instead you will be engaging into the midst of our lives, into the midst of what you want us to learn today. Father, I pray that our hearts and our minds and our ears would be open as we uh, are reminded from your word of your provision, of your redemption and deliverance. As we are reminded that as we come to your table, we have the opportunity to recognize who you are in the midst of your greatness and your power. And that you love us and care about us. And Father, may we be reminded of your forgiveness that comes through the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. Not only have you given your forgiveness to us as a gift, but you have challenged us to, to extend forgiveness to those around us. We love you today. We are so grateful that you have loved us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, uh, Becky and I are a team. And uh, we uh, work together. Our ministry has been for together for thir almost 39 years. Uh, we served uh, initially as a youth pastor, and I love youth ministry. In fact, when I retire, I'm going to go back to a local church, and I'm volunteering to work in the youth group, because I love hanging out with teens, and I love to see God do incredible things. So six years of our, the first six years of our ministry was in a youth pastor role, and now for the last 38 years, we spent in the local church, three different churches that we pastored. Our first church was in a little farming community named Medford, Oklahoma, a community of 1,500 people. Uh, it was an incredible church that took a young pastor and his wife, and uh, they were able to look past all of my mistakes and imperfections, and they loved us, and they taught us, and they encouraged us and supported us. Uh, they were the example of what it means to be a loving congregation. And uh, from what I've worked with your church board, I believe that you too are that kind of congregation. And, and uh, it is my desire that uh, in the next uh, few weeks, we hope that God's going to reveal to us uh, the plan for your next pastor. We're working on it. We've been working hard at it. Uh, from Medford, Oklahoma, we moved to Guymon, Oklahoma. You know, Oklahoma is in the shape of a pan. And right out in the center of that little handle out there is a community called Guymon, America. Uh, it's a town of about uh, 10,000 people and about uh, 40,000 pigs. Seaboard farms came into the area and uh, while we were living there and, and they began to uh, process pigs and uh, started a bunch of pig farms, hog farms, and, uh, uh, but it was a great place. We pastored there for almost 17 years. Our four children uh, 
grew up in Guymon. That's where they graduated high school. All four of them did. And uh, it was a great experience. And the community was, uh, the church was another loving congregation that loved us. For the last uh, 11 and a half before we came here to Illinois, we pastored in Mustang, Oklahoma, which is a suburb of uh, Oklahoma City, a bedroom community. Um, three of our kids still live there. And uh, so uh, it's uh, kind of home for us. And uh, in retirement, that's probably where we'll go. I'm talking about retirement like I'm there almost. I still got a long ways to go to get to retirement. But uh, uh, during COVID days, you begin to think more about retirement than you used to, at least I have, <laughs> as uh, we try to navigate these waters. I was never so surprised uh, when we, Becky and I were sitting in an, in an, in an airplane uh, on June the 17th, uh, headed with a group from our congregation to Paraguay, and uh, the phone rings in the airport, or on the airplane. We were already seated and just getting ready to text our kids and saying, I'm going to shut my phone off, and uh, we're going to be flying in the air for the next few hours. And uh, as I was preparing that text, the phone interrupted me and rang, and it was Dr. Robert Broadbrooks. Uh, from uh, the regional director for USA Canada, and he asked if I would consider allowing my name or if I would talk to the district advisory board in Illinois. I was shocked. I've been through Illinois about five times. Every year, every time there's a general assembly in Indianapolis, I would travel through Illinois on, high, on Interstate 70. That was my experience of Illinois. I didn't know that I knew anybody here. And uh, so I was very surprised uh, when uh, the advisory board wanted to talk to us. We just believed that God directed, and there were some things and doors that opened while we were there. And uh, we truly believe that we are here because God has directed us, and he's leading us. And so I'm here to help and to work with the district. I want you to know that my philosophy of ministry is that the district exists only to help the local church. It seems as if there has been some um, miscommunication down through the years about the district of the Church of the Nazarene. It seems as if sometimes there was a, a feeling out there that the local church existed to prop up and support the district. But I'm here to tell you the district is here to support you, the local church. For you, the local church, are the reason the district and the general Church of the Nazarene exist. You are the ones... You are the boots in the field. You are on the ground doing the work of the kingdom. And we want to come alongside of you and support you. So several weeks ago, whenever I was meeting with your board and they shared with me your tradition of, of communion the first Sunday of the month, and we were talking about that. And uh, the conversation switched or moved to the point of, well, Terry, could you do that? I jumped at the chance to share with you the Word of God and to lead you in the sacrament of God's grace. Um, my, my message is built around this idea of the grace of the sacrament. One of the things I like to do uh, whenever I was working with local churches as their pastor I would oftentimes ask them, and, and a few times when I interviewed in churches with church boards, I would ask the church board, how many articles of faith are there in the Church of the Nazarene? 
It was always an interesting question because I always got interesting answers. Some would say, well, I think there's 14. Maybe there's 15. And some would say there are 16 articles of faith in the church. And I would jump on it and say, you bet you are correct. There are 16 articles of faith in the church of Nazarene. I interviewed one time uh, in a place called Carthage, Missouri, and I'd ask the congregation and the church board that same question, and, and they were kind of stumbling around through the answers. Uh, and after our get acquainted time, they had an opportunity to write on cards questions that they would ask of Becky and I as we completed the interview that night. And one of the questions were, can you name all 16 articles of faith? And fortunately, I could. Um, but there are 16 articles of faith, and, and one of those articles of faith is the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, communion. And we want to talk about that this morning. And as we talk about that, I want us to take a, a few moments to look into the midst of Scripture, the life of Christ, and begin to see how there were at least five or six different times, we're going to look at four of them today, where Christ invited His people to the table. And it was the, at the midst of them being at the table that Jesus did something very significant, something ritual almost, a sacramental, we might say, in that he took bread and he broke it and gave thanks. And something began to happen. There was something that those disciples, those followers of Christ, began to experience as Jesus lifted up that loaf and, and broke it and gave thanks to the Father. And so this morning, as we take a few moments to look at those at four different passages I hope that there will be something that the Spirit of God will do and move among us in such a way that we will not only say it has been good to have been in the house of the Lord today, but that we will be able to say somehow, mysteriously, through the presence of the Holy Spirit, we experienced His grace this morning. The first story that I want to look at is found in in Matthew chapter 14. As Matthew 14 begins to develop, you have to understand what had taken place just before that. Jesus receives an terrible news that his dear friend, his cousin, John the Baptist, had been beheaded. Not the kind of news that you want to receive. That someone you love has died. And so there is this element that Jesus is going through this, this incredible, overwhelming experience of, of, of grief and loss. Like we experience in the midst of life. I, I mean, how many of you have felt you have lost life the last six, seven, eight months with COVID and a pandemic. There have been experiences that we have lost because we couldn't do them as we expected. And in the midst of that, the crowd continues to come around Jesus. And Jesus, in the midst of his compassion and his love for his people, somehow is able to put aside his, his own feelings, his own struggles, and he's able to look out at the midst of the, at the people there 
And he's able to care for them. And he teaches them. And he, he spends the day healing them and just speaking life into the midst of their presence. You'll remember the story that it came towards the end of the day and, and Jesus looked to his disciples and said, Hey, disciples, these people are hungry. You need to feed them. You need to get them something to eat. <laughs> and you remember the, the words of the disciples, don't you? Hey, Jesus, there's a lot of people here. We don't have enough food, and there's not enough food in all these surrounding towns for us to go by. And besides, our bank account is, does not have enough money in it. We don't have enough funds to provide food for all of these people. Just send them home so they can take care of themselves. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. Let's see what's around here. And you'll remember the story that Andrew found, the little boy that had five loaves, had a little sack lunch of five loaves and two small fish. I, I don't know about you, but as I read that story, oftentimes I think of it as five loaves, loaves of bread, you know, a big loaf. Becky makes is an incredible baker, and, and she makes these wonderful loaves of bread at times. And, you know, they're, they fit in a loaf pan, they're about, about this big, and they raise up about this high, and and uh, they smell so, so very good. And so whenever I read that story, I think of five loaves. And I'm thinking, well, I can see, you know, there's just something about a big loaf. But this was a, a little basket that this small boy was carrying. And so probably we should read the scripture and think of it as a biscuit. And, and maybe as even a small biscuit and two sardines. Okay? It's not, it's not a big basket, picnic basket. It's, it's just a little bit a sustenance. Five little biscuits and two sardines. <laughs> and Jesus says, that's enough. And you know in the, in the scripture, the story, Matthew chapter 14, verse 16, when Jesus said, you give them something to eat, it says he takes the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the bread. He gave thanks and broke the bread. And you know what happened? There was enough food for everybody to eat. In fact, there were 12 baskets left over. There was so much. And we see in the midst of this story that as God breaks the bread and gives thanks to the Father, that He declares that He is the God who is able to provide. He is the God that is able to provide. And there are so many different ways that God provides in the midst of our journey. One of my good friends another district superintendent that I have the privilege of working with tells the story that when he was in seminary, they went to church one Sunday morning and they had $18 cash. That was all that they had in money. There was no money in the checkbook. There was only $18. And $8 of that money was supposed to be his tithe. 
And, and my friend tells a story that he didn't grow up in the church and tithing was a very difficult concept for him to grasp and understand. But his, his wife had grown up and, and tithing was such an uh, intricate part of her faith and, and how she had learned to be a part of the, the, the church and to give back to God. My friend said to his wife, I don't think we can give our tithe today. And she said, no, we have to give our tithe today. He says, but, but we don't have enough gas in the car to make it through the week. And, and, and besides, your parents are coming to visit, and we don't have much food left in the house. We need to go buy at least something at the store. And then besides all of that, we have $450 due at the seminary for my semester. And I don't know how in the world we're going to pay it. And his wife said, nope, God will provide. We have to pay our tithe. So the offering was passed, which, by the way, I, it, I think I was supposed to mention the offering a moment ago. <laughs> Appreciate your faithfulness in giving. Um, and and there's, there's plates at the uh, back of the church and uh, I appreciate as a as a district leader I appreciate your faithfulness you are always a church that that participates in the the full life of the denomination and we appreciate your faithfulness in giving but as the offering came by in that day many years ago before the pandemic a friend took out a five and three ones left the ten dollar bill in his wallet because eight dollars was his tithe and he dropped it in the offering plate, saying, I don't know how we're going to survive this week. They went home. He said, we took our Nazarene nap. And there was a knock on the door. And it was his uncle that lived in Kansas City where they were going to seminary. And the uncle came and said to them, called him by name and said, you know, we... We're in church this morning. I didn't attend the same service, the same church. We were there, and while we were listening and participating in the service, God spoke to us and said, We needed to come and give you some money today. And my friend Glenn goes on to tell that his uncle handed him five $100 bills that day. $450 to pay for his seminary for the semester. But you can tell it was a long time ago to go to seminary for $450. And $50 left over, plus the 10 that he still had in his pocket, to buy gas and get some groceries. I want to say to you today, our God is a God of provision. And whenever we come to this moment that we allow God to, to break the bread and give thanks to us, give thanks to the Father for us, we begin to see that He is a God who will provide. Now, some of you may be saying, well, Terry, you know, God hadn't provided me the money that I needed this week. And I don't understand how God works, but what I do believe with all my heart that God provides for what we need. And so today as we come in a few moments to this 
to the table. And we experience the brokenness of his body. And we receive the forgiveness through the shed blood. May you be reminded that God is a God who will provide. The second passage of Scripture is in uh, Matthew 26. It's the passage of Scripture that you would think that we would talk about when it comes to communion. Because it's the passage of Scripture where Jesus begins to tell His disciples that He is giving all of Himself. It is the Last Supper, as we often refer to it. His disciples on that day did not recognize that it was the Last Supper. They recognized it as a celebration of the Passover feast. It was a part of their annual tradition that they would gather together and they would remember God's deliverance to their forefathers through out of Egypt, from the hands of Pharaoh, the, the dictator in their life, and that God would deliver them and they would celebrate. And here, as they celebrated the Passover, Jesus was instituting a new tradition. That each time that the disciples would come to that moment, that, that they would break the bread and they would take the cup, that they would be reminded that Jesus came to grant to us the experience and the grace of deliverance from our past and to give us a new life for the future. And so this morning, we're going to come to this moment, to this table, this invitation that, that He extends to us that we might be reminded of the deliverance that He desires to give to each and every one of us. I don't know who you are. I don't know what's going on in the midst of your life. But there's enough of us here today that probably there's some of us that are wondering, can God really redeem my life? Can God really deliver me and redeem me to make me like Him? The experience of the sacrament of communion is to be a reminder that yes, the answer to that question is yes, He can. And it's all because He took that bread on that night, recognizing that it represented His body and His brokenness. And He took the cup, recognizing that it was His life's blood that would be shed for the forgiveness of our sins, so that you and I could be delivered and redeemed and restored into this right relationship with Him. So the table... The invitation to the table becomes an invitation to experience the grace of God's provision through Christ. It also becomes an invitation to receive the grace of God's redemption in Christ. The third passage of Scripture is the passage of Scripture that happens just a few days after that it comes in Luke chapter 24. I think this is becoming one of my favorite stories. It's a story that uh, the morning of the resurrection, 
the disciples had really not yet come to understand that, that Christ was no longer dead, but that he was alive. And there were these two disciples that were walking on the road. They were traveling. They had left the upper room and they were traveling along to their home in Emmaus. You'll remember the story. And along the way, this, this stranger comes alongside of them and, and asks them a question. What are you talking about? And, and these two disciples, these two followers of Christ said, they looked at him and, and, and they, their jaw just had to drop. Are you the only person in all of Jerusalem that doesn't know what happened over these last few days? Jesus begins to ask them a question. And then he begins to explain to them the redemption story through Scripture. They were intrigued. When they got to the end of their journey, they were almost home and Jesus was going to go ahead and go further. And, and they said to Jesus, Jesus, you need to come in and sit down with us and eat with us at the table. And they sit down and they begin to eat. And as Jesus talks, he takes the bread and he gives thanks. And he breaks it and gives it to them. And at that moment, the scripture says, their eyes were open and they recognized that it was the Christ, Jesus The story intrigues me because I'm thinking, how could you not know who he was the whole time you were walking down the road? But for whatever reason, he, they weren't able until Jesus broke the bread and their eyes were opened and they experienced the grace of recognition of who Christ was. In the midst of our journey, in the midst of COVID world, we need to recognize that Christ is Christ. In the midst of political turmoil, and, and I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm thankful that Tuesday's almost here. And whoever wins, it doesn't matter because Christ is still on the throne. And if we will recognize that today, if we will recognize that Christ is the Christ and that he is the Lord and that he is the king of all the kingdoms. And as we receive his grace, his kingdom comes from heaven to earth and we can live confident in the midst of his presence. No matter who wins elections. As we come to the table today, and we ask Christ to, to break the bread and to pour out the cup, we experience the grace of His provision, the grace of His redemption, and the grace of recognition that Christ, that Jesus is the Christ.
One final story of Scripture. It happened several days later. The disciples were still distraught, even though they had seen Christ was alive. And they had been, kind of been up all they'd been up for a while, and they still were trying to figure this thing out. And so the disciples, some of them say, Let's go fishing. Remember that story? So they go fishing, and they fish all night. And these fishermen catch nothing. Zilch. They were skunked. They didn't. I knew I know how that feeling. I've been fishing. I don't even really like to go fishing because I'm always skunked. And Jesus was on the shore after as they were finishing up the day and coming into the to the shore. There's a man on the back of on the, the, the shore side and and he's got a fire going and Jesus calls out to them. Hey, hey guys. Throw your nets on the other side of the boat. <laughs> I don't know about you. I, don't you just, these stories just come to life to me. <laughs> I, I know they didn't have Levi's out there on the boat. But they're sitting there and they're putting their hands in their pocket going, this guy's crazy. I mean, we're fishermen. We haven't caught anything all night. Why in the world would it be all the fish be on the other side of the boat? But for whatever reason, they did it. They threw their nets, and there's a large catch of fish. You know the story. Peter recognized that it's Christ, and he gets to the shore, and Jesus is already fish, or, uh, cooking fish for their breakfast that morning. And there's this conversation that begins to take place because as you look in this passage, you'll see that Jesus breaks the bread and gives it to Peter. Peter. The one who Jesus had said on that Thursday night, before the rooster crows three times, you would And you remember what Peter said? Peter said, no way, Lord, I will die with you. I will take up the sword and I will fight and we won't let anything happen to you. But as Jesus is arrested and taken in to the courtyard three times, Peter denies that he is one of the followers. And so here they are on this sitting around the campfire on the seashore. And Jesus is breaking bread and he gives it to Peter. And there's this dialogue that happens. But the thing that I want us to see is that Jesus speaks words of forgiveness to Peter. And he restores him into the fellowship. I don't know where you're at, you are at in your life, but it could be that today you feel like you are far away from where Christ is at. 
And as we come to the table here in a few moments, not only is we are going to receive through the presence of the Spirit the grace of provision, of redemption, of recognition of who Christ is, but Jesus also today wants to also forgive us and restore us into the fellowship. And it's very interesting to me that it just doesn't depend on our receiving the gift. But it also depends upon us giving the gift of forgiveness. In, in the Sermon on the Mount, do you remember what Jesus said? About if you come to the altar and realize that someone has something against you, you must leave your gift on the altar first and go and be reconciled to those around you. So the invitation to the table is not just about God providing for us, not just about God redeeming and delivering us from our past, not just about recognizing that He is always going to be God, but it's also about restoring us to the fellowship and us extending that grace and that restoration to those around us. In one of my churches, I had a, a gentleman that at the time, we thought it was he and his wife started attending our service. I mean, just a couple that came in one Sunday. They visited with us and we got acquainted with them and, and uh, you know, they were just a nice couple and Seemed like they were looking for a new church home, and we accepted them, and they became part of the fellowship. As we began to develop the relationship about four or five months into the, their attending, we discovered that they weren't married. They'd been living together for quite a while, actually. They both had a terrible past of failed marriages. And uh, so, you know, we're kind of in a dilemma. Here's this couple that we just kind of accepted into the life of the church, and they're living in sin. What do we do now? We talked about it and, and uh, just decided we were going to continue to love them and just begin to pray for them, that they would discover that God's able to provide and restore and redeem and deliver them and and that he, if they would recognize who he was, that they would discover his forgiveness. And their life would change. Revival was scheduled. Evangelist was coming and he preached. And I watched as that couple sat in the back of our church and they came forward and they knelt at the altar. And they asked Christ to come and live in their hearts and ask for forgiveness. And they had not grown up in the church. And so after all of the, the prayers were over, we began to talk to them about what it meant to live out our faith. And he said, you know, I think we're living in sin. You know, I didn't have to tell them that. I never told them that. No one in the church told them, well, you guys are heathen, terrible people because you're living together in sin. But the Holy Spirit began to work on them and we just loved on them, and the Holy Spirit spoke to them, and they said to us, we got a problem. We're not married. 
And so we began to talk about it. Becky and I would meet with them, and, and we began to plan a wedding with them. And in the course of that, we had the opportunity to talk about, you know, you know, it's the world's kind of tough right now. You guys are living together. You have one home, one house. And so for the next two weeks before your marriage, you need to stay in separate bedrooms. They were okay with that. God was working in their lives, and so they did that. We had an incredible wedding to celebrate God's forgiveness and love in this couple's life. But the real forgiveness began to happen as he began to tell me his story. When he was 11 or 12 years old, his father murdered his mother. And he had had incredible resentment towards his father. He went to jail in a penitentiary for first-degree murder. And we began to talk. He said, there's just there's something missing in my life. And we began to talk about the need for forgiveness. That he was going to have to reach a point in his life that he could forgive his father. It didn't excuse what his father did. His father was still paying the price, but he had to forgive him. There was a lot in the midst of that story, but let me just get to the point that one day he walked into my office with a big vanilla envelope that was about this thick. It was, it was huge. It was a big envelope. And he plopped it on my desk. <laughs> and I called him by name. I said, what's this? You know, I, I didn't have a clue what he was bringing to me. He said, it's all my past. It's all my bitterness and my anger towards my father. I opened up the envelope and pulled out some stuff, and it was newspaper articles. It was court records. It was all kinds of stuff about the, heni- uh, the terrible act of his father murdering his mother. And he said, i got to get rid of this. i got to forgive him, or I'm not going to be able to keep my faith in God. He said, I don't care what you do with it, you get rid of it. And so I had the privilege of praying with Gary as he forgave his father. And then I had the task of destroying years and years and years of bitterness and anger and struggle because he experienced the grace of God's forgiveness that enabled him to extend that grace to forgive So this morning, we come to the sacrament of communion. A sacrament in which we experience the grace of Christ. And as we experience His grace, He calls us to give out His grace to the world around us. Our manual states that we believe the communion supper instituted by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is a sacrament. Proclaiming his life, his suffering, his sacrificial death, his resurrection, and the hope of his coming again. The Lord's Supper is a means of grace in which Christ is present by the Spirit. 
all are invited by faith in Christ and to be, re be renewed in life, salvation, and in unity of Christ as the church. All are to come in reverent appreciation of its significance and by it show forth the Lord's death until he comes. Those who have faith in Christ and love for the saints are invited by Christ to participate as often as possible. And so today we come to this sacred moment in which we invite the Holy Spirit to pour out into our life His grace through the sacraments that we might receive the grace of provision, His provision. That we might receive the, His grace of redemption and deliverance. That we might receive the grace of recognizing who He is. And that we might receive the grace of forgiveness, of restoration, giving that to those around us. So I invite you today to take off the first little layer and take the bread. It was on the night that our Lord and Savior was betrayed that He took the bread and He gave thanks and gave to His disciples saying, this is My body broken for you. Each time you do this, do it in remembrance of Me. Remember the grace of My provision. Remember the grace of My redemption and deliverance. Remember the grace of recognizing that I am Christ the King. And recognizing the grace of forgiveness. Take now and eat. And then after supper, he took the cup, opened tenderly and softly, so you don't spill it all over you. But after supper, he took this cup, and giving thanks, he gave it to his disciples, saying, this is the blood of the new covenant, which is for the forgiveness of of your sins. Take and drink and do this in remembrance of me. Let us drink together. As we prepare to close, I'll ask the band, the worship team, to prepare to come forward. And uh, as we close in prayer and prepare our hearts to sing, give thanks, may we be reminded of His grace. Father, today, we are thankful for this message, for how you, live out your you lived out your faith and your belief in the Father throughout the Gospels. And now you have called us to live that way. And I pray now that as we have received and taken the sacrament, that we have experienced your grace today in new ways, in mindful ways of who you are, and that we will have the strength and the courage to live out this week 
living as a reflection of who you are. Sharing your love, extending your forgiveness, extending your mercy and your grace to those around us. We are thankful for all that you do. And now receive these offerings of praise as we give thanks to you in Christ's name. Receive these words and prayer from the Apostle Paul. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us, and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope. May he encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed.